the breakout, gold's going to make a new all-time highs. Gold-backed ETFs in inflows of over $5 billion. $0.8 trillion gold market. Why are we the only guys to see on this Hey, welcome to Live from the Vault. My name is Shane Moran, and I will be your host for this week's episode. And we are excited today. As you can imagine, uh, the Live from the Vault community is growing very fast all over the world. And I thank you, thank you, thank you on behalf of the entire Kinesis community. Hey, there's a lot to talk about during these uh, crazy times. I know everyone's holding their breath waiting for Andrew McGuire. He is in the house with Talking Gold. And we have a surprise for you today. You're not going to want to miss any part of this episode. Why? Because we have the one and only Mark Faber in the house. He is the editor and publisher of the Gloom, Boom, and Doom report at gloomboomdoom.com. That's gloomboomdoom.com if you want to check out that report. So buckle up. Before we get started here, I just want to encourage you to keep spreading the word about this channel by liking, by sharing, uh, hit that subscribe button, and then click on the bell if you'd like to be notified as these episodes go live. So with that, let's head over to the UK. Let's not waste any time here. We've got a big show for you today with Talking Gold with the one and only Andrew McGuire. Hey, Andy. Well, this is, this is actually an honor for me. Um, we'll be speaking to uh, the Mark Faber, and um, and, and it's so thank you so much for joining us today, um, Mark. I, I, I remember this dates me, um, but I remember you calling the top. I mean, I remember you ruffling the feathers of the the, the money the money honey feathers back in uh, at uh, at the turn of the uh, millennia. Uh, calling, calling, pretty much calling a top in the uh, tech stocks, and along with um, you know the likes of David Tice, um, who I know very, very well. Yes, he's a good friend of mine. Uh, and to have you here today, I mean, obviously, I'd have lo- love to get your, your your opinions on some of those gold questions, but 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 I think also the economic questions that we rarely delve into. Um, and, and I think that that would really interest me. So the first question, if I could to be so bold as to ask your opinion on is, uh, I mean, for the first time in what, 75 years, uh, it looks like the combined earnings and dividend yields, if you weigh up the S&P 500 companies, I mean, they look negative in real terms. It, it, first of all, is this correct? And, and is this historically unprecedented? Well, first of all, thank you for having me on your program. And it's a pleasure. Uh, of course, you're also familiar to me. <laughs> I occasionally watch your programs. Uh, the question about earnings and the record uh, stock prices uh, can be answered in the sense that when you print money, not at all stages of money printing, but at some stage of money printing, Of course, it boosts uh, earnings and asset prices. And so the recent money printing that occurred because of the government's uh, COVID-19 programs and interventions, uh, as an economist myself, I don't think they would have had to do it, but they did it. So that money flowing into an economy, global economy, which they had destroyed by asking people to close down their shops and for people to stay home and not to travel and so forth and so on, that uh, created a huge bubble in certain assets like uh, stocks and not all stocks, We had a bubble in uh, SPAC-related investments, and we had in meme stocks, GameStop, and then uh, now recently Robinhood, and previously AMC, where some smart operators just identified companies that had a large short position (laughs) outstanding because there is something wrong with these companies. 
But because the short position was large and the float thin, they could manipulate them on the upside for a little while. As you know, most of these stocks have collapsed from the highs by sometimes 70-80%. But nonetheless, they first went up a lot. And part of the money also flowed, and we have to acknowledge that, into cryptocurrencies, which caught the attention of young people and also of other people like myself who says, well, I don't know exactly what the value will be, but clearly in future we may have cryptocurrencies that replace the current monetary system and so forth. So let's invest part of our money into cryptocurrencies and so forth. And for a while also commodities went up a lot. Now, this money printing, obviously... Uh, in order to keep on pushing asset prices and earnings will have to be multiplied. You understand? This is the problem of money printing. You cannot print money and then just stop it because otherwise everything collapses. Uh, you have to keep on uh, doing it. And when you keep on doing it, uh, there is a phase in the printing of money where the money printing goes into inflation, price pressure. And that's when earnings begin to disappoint because corporations may be reluctant to increase prices at the same rate that costs go up. Number two, the money printing benefits the economy initially, but in the face of excessive money printing where inflation starts to occur, uh, it leads to people having less money in real terms. Real terms means inflation adjusted. In other words, your salary may go up by 5%, but if your cost of living go up by 10%, you're 5% poorer. But this has been the case now for the last 30 years. Young people, they struggle to buy a house. They struggle to buy a condo because monetary policies have pushed up the prices of houses and condos to an artificially high level. So we have to actually, if we rate monetary policies and their effectiveness, I would give them an F, a failure. But this is the more or less economic explanation that I can offer. Yes. So, so I, I guess really the, 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 the question I get, and I get this every day, you get people. Now, obviously, we've got presence in Switzerland and Liechtenstein and, 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 and in your home country of, of Switzerland. And a lot of people call us and say, but Andrew, what, where do I put my money? I mean, what do I do with my money? And I think this has got to be the question that comes now because, I mean, obviously what you've just explained um, really, I think, resonates with with many, many people who are very, obviously, you know, when you've made money over the years, you've probably been very smart in, in making that money and, and you're, you're now lost as to where to put it. I mean, do you put it into art? Do you put it into <laughs> cryptos? Do you put it into gold? Where, where do you put it? You know? <laughs> And, and probably hide it from their wives at the same time. Well, I had to laugh because you said, if you make money, you must be very smart. In Switzerland, we have a saying that the most stupid farmers, it's an old saying, the most stupid farmers, at the time everybody was a farmer, they have the largest uh, potatoes or largest apples. So to make money is not necessarily a sign of great intellect or great skills. It can also happen accidentally. You can win a lottery, you understand, and in the course of a long period of time, there are always some people that win, will win the lotteries. Like some people, they own bitcoins early on, good for them, and some people owned AMC uh, and uh, GameStop early on, and good for them, and so forth. But uh, in general, I would say that uh, the majority of people 
is not benefiting much from the current economic policies. Or actually, I would even argue, if I look at how the wealth of the money printing, so we print, say, $3 trillion over the last 12 months, how is this wealth distributed? It went to very few people. <coughs> but to the question that you ask, where do I put my money? I just like to respond. When I was young and we went to school in the 1950s and 60s, if you made some money, the saying was, you put it in a bank on deposit. So you get some interest. And then as interest rates went up, as you remember, uh, from the late 1960s to 1981, notably from 1970 to 1981, the interest rate on the 10-year U.S. Treasury went from less than 6% to 15.84% in September 81. So, at the time, I was a salesman for White Weldon Company, an American investment bank that was then bought by Merrill Lynch. And I had to solicit business from new clients in Asia. They all told me, Mark, why should I buy stocks that don't go up when I can put my money at 15, 16, at the peak, people could put their money on one year's deposit at 22%. 22%. And nobody had an interest in stocks. And that's why, as interest rates went up during the 70s, the stock market, it wasn't a disaster. But by 1982, the Dow Jones was no higher than in 1964, 18 years earlier. But I need to stress that the reality was you got the dividends. You got on the Dow Jones, depending when you bought it, a 4 to 6% dividend yield. But nowadays... You know, this is a problem for young people and also for retirees, and that I want to stress. The central banks have actually uh, killed uh, conservative investing. Uh, what they force people to do is to speculate, because if you keep your money in cash, you will get precisely, well, my cash deposits in U.S. dollars, six months is le less than half a percent, 0.4 percent. And I'm just writing about this because I'm writing about the hyperinflation in the French Revolution, what happened at the time, really. And I'm showing a chart of, say, a Swiss company called Novartis. It's not a brilliant company, but it's a say, a blue-chip pharmaceutical company in Switzerland that has probably an equally bad reputation as all the other pharmaceutical companies in the world. But anyway, it has a dividend yield of over 3%. And at the same time, <coughs> I can buy now a bond in Switzerland. The coupon is 2.5%. And it will mature in 2031, and the price is 126. In other words, uh, if I buy it today at 126, I will get back 100, but I had a 2% per annum. But all, overall, it's a negative interest rate. So uh, when people say, well, what shall I do with the money today? I'm telling them to own cash and to keep cash is unlike the time when I grew up when cash was safe. Now it is not safe because you have a negative real interest rate. And in America, you know, on my 0.4% deposit for six months, the rate of inflation at the present time in America is anywhere between 4% 
and 10%, depending which observer you believe, and also depending what kind of a household you have. You have two children, you have to pay the school for them, or you have uh, a lot of medical care expenditures and so forth. There are certain things, education, health care, and more recently food, that is going up a lot. So I, I would imagine inflation is something like 5-6%. So with practically zero interest rate on deposits on your money, you have a negative real, real equals inflation adjusted interest rate of say minus 4-5%, like in the 70s. And this is a punishment by the central banks on ordinary people. It's, it is an expropriation of the wealth of ordinary people. Like when they have in Europe negative interest rates, it is an expropriation of money. The central banks actually, when you really think about it, are criminals. And as I told you, I'm writing now about the French Revolution. In those days, at least they had the wisdom to chop off their heads. It's incredible. I, I mean, how history rhymes. And I, I, think, um, I think this is the other thing that, 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 that I get questions on is, is you know, look, I, I mean, obviously we deal with a lot of Swiss clients and, and they say... But you know what they say to me, Andrew, you know, we're already encountering a bail-in here because uh, if I go to the bank and I ask for more than 250, 300,000 uh, Swiss francs, they say, no, you can't have it, whether it's in, in gold or whether it's in cash. You can't have more than that. And unless you've got a really good lawyer, um, the average person is not going to be able to essentially what we're seeing is a bail-in. And... And the other thing is, is that, I mean, to me, that what is that but a bail-in? And, and, um, and then you're beholden to uh, the balance sheet of that bank, which you probably don't have a view to. Um, and it's a scary thing because then if you, ideally, when you've got, say, a three-quarters of a basis point um, negative rate, why wouldn't you just go to the bank with a truck or with a suitcase, fill your suitcase up, come to one of our vaults and store it a hell of a lot cheaper or at no cost because then, then, then leave it in the bank. So it is a bail-in, is it not? It's a bail-in. You can do that. But the bank will not pay you out a million dollars in one day. I think you will have to drive your truck uh, on several days. And don't tell me I may... Uh, hijack your truck. But, uh, the, but that one thing I want to tell you, you have to be careful what people say and so forth. You can have a safe deposit bank in a Swiss bank. I have both. I have safe deposit banks, uh, safe deposit boxes, and I have so-called metal accounts. I can have in both, millions of dollars in uh, gold, silver, and other uh, precious metals in the metals account as well as in the safe. So when people say, well, you can't have this and can't have that, uh, they may be restrictions on clients which they don't know. That, if you walk into a Swiss bank and you have a suitcase uh, the size of an overseas uh, colonialist <laughs> suitcase that they used in the 19th century, and it's filled with dollar notes. Maybe uh, they will ask you, where do you have it from? Then you will say, well, I have it uh, from this and that. Then they will say, well, we need to check this. If you tell them, I just took it away from another bank across the street and I bring it to you, I think you should be okay. But they will check with, with the other bank, did you withdraw the money from them? In other words, if you just walk into uh, uh, 
a Swiss bank with a huge suitcase full of money, uh, they will want to know the origin of that money. Not in all cases, you understand, because the man at his desk, he has also a desk where money can flow underneath, as happens all over the world. But, but then, then the question is, I guess, is when I'm subjected to a um, negative interest rate on storing my cash with a Swiss bank, for example, why would I just not take that physical cash and put it in a, in, in a proper secure vaulting facility, much cheaper than three quarters of a basis point? Yeah, yeah, sure, you should do that. I'm not denying that this is a, a, a thought that is entirely valid. I wanted to show that with the example of Novartis, that in my view, over the next 10 years, okay? We're talking about a period of 10 years. That over the next 10 years, uh, the man who holds cash at zero interest rates, in 10 years, he won't lose any money, okay? That I concede. But he may lose money through the currency depreciation. That is not written in stone that the Swiss franc will go up against the US dollar. And maybe, and this I wanted to actually address before, maybe both, the Swiss franc cash and the US dollar cash, both will collapse in value against, say, precious metals. But if that happens, then the shares of, say, a company like Novartis will tend to go up. I'm saying the tendency will be to go up. Uh, by how much? We don't know for sure. But I think that with the dividend yield of 3%, you understand, in 10 years' time, this is altogether 30%. So what do you rather have cash at zero interest and in 10 years you take it out? Or do you accept, as I do, the volatility of owning some shares that go up and down, but overall, traditionally, in a money-printing environment? And I will explain afterwards also some of the exceptions to that rule. But in a money-printing environment, overall, stock prices tend to go up over 10 years. Not all shares at the same time, and I think we're in a market that today is very interesting because we have a market that is essentially in a bubble. But not every stock is in a bubble. You understand, in Europe, we have many stocks that are very depressed. Telecommunication stocks, very depressed. Utilities, very depressed. All the banks, very depressed, and so forth. Insurance companies, depressed. <coughs> so... I'm arguing that today, because of the overvaluation of some sectors in the market, semiconductors and farm-related stocks and Amazon, Apple and all that, the, there are other sectors that are cheap, including especially anything to do with precious metals and anything to do with emerging economies. The emerging markets... Uh, stock markets, by and large, with the exception of stocks that are also technology and telecommunication related, but in general, emerging market stocks are very depressed, very cheap. So I think over a 10 years period that should be okay. But I concede that, as was the case February, March 2020, you may have a 35% downside volatility. And if you believe Robert Prechter of the Elliott Wave, the downside volatility would be much <laughs> more substantial possible. 
Um, I, I was going to ask you, um, while we've got you here, um, we, we see the Fed um, and the Bank of International Settlements regularly intervene in the gold market, as they do in all foreign exchange markets, obviously. Um, now, do you see the Fed interfering or intervening in the crypto markets, or indeed are they? Um, that would be interesting to know. This is something I have also asked myself. Uh, let's say the Fed has intervened repeatedly when stocks went down, so they stepped into the market to support them. They have at the bank, the Reserve Bank of New York, they have this plunge protection team that essentially support supposed to maintain orderly markets. But they intervene, that for sure. <coughs> and they have intervened in the past <coughs> and will do so in future. <coughs> Sorry. And with money printing, you can hold a decline in stock prices and in real estate prices as we have seen you can also, with money printing, favor some friends of yours who may influence votes and are on Wall Street, powerful people. And so we call this essentially this nice agreement between rich people and government officials. We call it cronyism, crony capitalism. But it goes on. And uh, they will continue to intervene. As I said, I don't think they can stop printing money. I think they will have to continue. That's why when people tell me, you know, that the whole thing will collapse, I say yes. But we don't know when, because they can keep on printing money for a long time. But it will collapse, that for sure. Uh, th there's another point that I want to make, and... Uh, that is an additional issue. Actually, the two points that I want to make that are additional issues in the valuation of assets. The first one is uh, obviously if interest rates go up substantially, you know, this has then a dampening impact on asset prices. And this could happen even if the Fed prints money like water because that could result in a collapse in the currency. Not necessarily against other currencies, because the other central bankers are equally brain damaged as the Fed members. So they'll also print money, you understand? They're equally politically motivated and animated by their rich friends in the private sector who promised them uh, advisory jobs if they print enough money and when they retire they get all these kind of things. So the intervention will continue, but it can be that uh, the currency collapses uh, against all assets, say against uh, gold, against silver, against food prices, against wages. We call this inflation. And when this happens, uh, the question is then obviously what happens to interest rates and to confidence, because uh, who will buy a government bond? Who will buy, hold the money of a government? And then uh, there is a situation that arises, which uh, the French Revolution also experienced, that nobody wanted these papers anymore. So they forced people to buy them, and also, they expropriated people who took the money out of France. And some, who were very fortunate, they had their heads chopped off. So they, were not, they didn't lose everything, they just lost their head. <laughs> All I want to say is, you understand, we are today in a Vogue society... This Vogue society is a complete failure. The last example of this failure is the Olympics, where the ratings were the lowest they have ever been in the history of TV. 
That is because these athletes are no longer sports people. When I and you watch sports, we want to see performance. We don't want to see someone who wants to be on Facebook good-looking and look good on TV and have something interesting to say about the Vogue society and Vogue mentality and about multiracialism and all this BS. So what I want to say is all these uh, unfortunate events that lead essentially sooner or later to a collapse, they're being overlaid by social issues that are disastrous. You know, you may be very rich if you're Jeff Bezos today and Zuckerberg and Bill Gates and all these people. But one thing I want to say about the French Revolution, the revolutionaries, all of them were highly educated people. They were not peasants. And yet they went and expropriated wealthy people. <laughs> In particular, they were very good. They took the land away from the church. All of it. <laughs> so I can tell you one thing. If anyone gives a penny to BLM, Black Lives Matter, and to these type of organizations, in the hope that he will come out okay, he is dreaming. He will be the first one these people turn against. You better fight them, then they have some respect. If you give them money, they will not respect you at all. And I, I think we, the, you know, the question that people had to you coming from Switzerland or wherever, what do you do if you have money, is a very good question because whatever you do, you may get hurt somewhere. Either we have already expropriation taxes through less than zero interest rates, either in real terms or in reality in Europe, we will have higher taxes on properties. We will have higher inflation, so lowering standards of living. And what they've done is to take the businesses away of small people. You have a salon hairdresser salon, you have a coffee shop, you have a bakery, you are a butcher, a small guy. You don't have capital like Walmart and all these people. And they ask you to close down the business. Where is your business now? You have no business. I can tell you the interventions by the government over all the governments in the world over the last 12 to 18 months have bankrupted small businessmen and hurt them very badly. And they have rather been favorable for wealthy people. And people like myself, I can work from my office. I don't need to travel. I don't need to work outside. I don't need to serve clients. And I own assets. But you understand, it is unfair and it creates a more dangerous society and more dangerous uh, environment. Now comes the third point I wanted to make altogether, and this relates that all these policies, as was the case in the French Revolution, they wanted to give power to the people, but the people that were running the revolution were the elite. They were aristocrats, Robespierre, and uh, Mirabeau and uh, Marat, they were all aristocrats. They were not simple people. But uh, what then happened is instead of having some broad government, they got not the king, which they had just chopped off the head, Louis XVI, they got Napoleon Bonaparte, who sent all these people onto the, into the army and off to Russia where approximately half a million French on the way to Russia and coming back died altogether. That was the army, la grande armée. <laughs> now, I, 
I have to laugh when people think that uh, they will get democracy. I think we're going to get a huge mess. And in America, don't underestimate the power of the military that only wants war. They don't want war because of an enemy. They want the war because the Defense Department gets a lot of money from wars and the whole military complex already Eisenhower pointed this out. The military complex lives from wars. There was no need to go to Afghanistan. There was no need to go to Vietnam. But you understand? <coughs> For each dollar the government spends, there's some money. In honest countries, 5 to 10 percent. In more dishonest countries like the US, 20 percent. And in completely dishonest countries like the African countries, 90, 100 percent flows into government's pockets. But in the US, for sure, 20 percent. So if you spend $4 trillion in Iraq, Syria, and Afghanistan, 20 percent is roughly a trillion dollars. $4 trillion, 20%. They stole at least a trillion dollars. It's a thousand billion dollars a trillion. I want your readers to understand, your viewers to understand this. The money that is being stolen, I mean, I'm all against all these government programs by the Democrats, but the Republicans steal equally through war efforts. I mean, it's a tragedy. That's why I think the, the U.S. will go bankrupt. It's only a matter of time. And, and that, I mean, that to me, that's interesting. And, and you just raised, raised Russia at, at one point here. Look, um, I guess the other thing that that, that we look at here is is um, you know, there the, 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 let's face it, Russia and China are military enemies of the U.S. Um, and um, really, I'm, I, 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 you know, we've seen them both uh, moving to um, dump dollars. Uh, well, certainly Russia uh, coming off, basically protecting itself from uh, the SWIFT system. Um, China, we know we've very got good contacts with the state banks, there, with a couple of the state banks there. But certainly um, they are accruing physical in good size. Um, and I think a lot of the repatriations that we saw start in 2013 when Germany asked for their gold back and were told it would take seven years to get 300 tons back. But, um, but, um, but a lot of uh, the repatriations um, started at that point when Basel III's net stable funding ratios were agreed. And, and I think the writing was on the wall um, that, um, that really... Uh, it was time to repatriate and get control of your own currencies. And I'm just worried about the military side of things at the moment. The, the U.S. really appears to be poking Russia uh, to the point of retaliation, China to the point of retaliation. Mark, what, what do you think would happen there? Do you think it's possible there would be a war? Well, uh, I, I think since the economic policies are likely to fail over the next few years, I think, uh, you know, the people that uh, have money and invest money, they should think very carefully, what will occur with my assets in case of war and what will occur with my personal life in case of war? You understand, these are two different issues, but uh, somehow related. I think, for me, the probability of war is very high. Not this year, not next year, but eventually, because the way I see the U.S. education, and the way I see education in Eastern Europe, Russia, and especially China and Vietnam and India, the U.S. is falling behind, okay? Now, they just introduced in Oregon a law where to go to high school, you don't need to take a mathematics test anymore, nor a 
writing test. I mean, you know, for someone like me who was uh, educated in the 50s and 60s, I always say I've been brought up under iron discipline. Maybe you don't see that today, but that was the case at that time. For me, all these things are something incredible that I never would have thought about. I think that it's good that young people have a strict education and that they learn hard and that they are equipped for the future. Because the future is unknowable and it changes constantly. So if you have a wider knowledge and wider skill set, uh, you're better off. You understand that you have to learn how to rely on yourself and not on government handouts. But that is the policy uh, of some people. The communists, they want people to depend on the state. So the state can say, okay, today you go here and tomorrow you go over there, the third day here and the fourth day you denounce your parents or your sisters or brothers or your friends. This is the totalitarian state or the servile state, as was described by Hilaire Belloc. And even Oswald Spengler, in his book about machine and man, he brings this up, that, you know, modern society will enslave people. I think we're going to go... Uh, and between you and me, I think the freedom you and I enjoyed in the 50s and 60s, think of, say, Woodstock. How can you have a Woodstock today with all the regulation? Will never happen again. Never again. So all these things will, uh, will change. And uh, these movies, you know, like uh, Metropolis and so forth, and a song in the year 2525, uh, all these uh, pro projections will become kind of a reality. And that, in my view, will not be good for asset markets. But I think, uh, to be fair, uh, we had a collapse in gold and silver last week and so forth. And of course, for people who borrow money to buy these assets, it's painful. But I look at this way. I think uh, as a buyer, long-term buyer of these assets, and I tell everyone, I have about 25% of my assets in gold and silver and platinum, and I will never in my lifetime sell. Now, I brought up the social issues that I just explained because it's possible that the government will come and put a knife on your head and say you have to tender the gold, give it to us. That is a possibility. Now, they can also do that with bitcoins and with stocks and everything. They've done it. The Bolsheviks took everything away. Also from the Rothschilds, they took everything away. And uh, uh, in the French Revolution, they also took everything away from some rich people. Not from all, but from, from a lot. And so forth and so on. So it's happened before. After the, the Germans took everything away from the Jews... After the Second World War, if you had properties in East Germany, Hungary, Czechoslovakia, and so forth, you lost it all. It was all nationalized. Same in China. They were very rich people because they owned real estate in Shanghai and Canton and so forth. Lost it all in '49. It's all been there before, and I think it's wonderful to have a world in Switzerland. But I can tell you, if uh, the so-called shit hits the fan and someone occupies Switzerland, they will not declare your world to be safe. That we have to see. But equally, 
It is no point. It's no point. I have a client. She cannot live anymore and function properly because she worries day and night about her money, although she has a lot of money. But she cannot sleep because of that. She cannot function because of that. And I say, under these circumstances, you have children or no children, better go and have a drink somewhere and enjoy your life. Because, for sure, I, that I can say with a high degree of certainty, it won't get any better. Just look at the quality of politicians we have nowadays. And bureaucrats, this is the other group of people that didn't suffer from all the measures that they imposed on ordinary people. First time in history that the bureaucracy did not suffer. But you understand, we can one day get someone who is as clever and intelligent as Joseph Stalin. He saw through the bureaucracy, he saw who... They, who the dishonest people were, and he chopped off the heads as well. And I hope, I have a friend in America, he built a perfect replica of the guillotine. Perfect. You wouldn't see any difference between the guillotine that is in the museums in Paris and his guillotine. Perfect. I think we've been following, we've been following, and, and look, I'm cognizant that it's, it's well after midnight, your time, Mark, and you've been so generous with your time. But I need to go for a drink. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm so sure we all do. Um, but anyway, thank you for your, for your time. If you, I was going to ask you one more question, but, but we can do that another time, Mark. Um, and, um, but I thank you, you know. No, you can ask one more question. It's not a problem. <laughs> I okay. don't have a date There's always tonight. one more. <laughs> There's always one more. And, and it, it, it's more the fact that we've been uh, we've been following, um, you know, Basel Three. But but I yesterday today I for the first time brought Basel Four to the attention of as many people as I could. And 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 obviously this is this is exactly what you say is going to happen. This is. This is an attempt to recategorize loans to business. So essentially, uh, it is a precursor that, that all businesses will be limited, eliminated because what they're going to do is they're going to uh, create such enormous risk weighting to a business loan or a mortgage loan. Uh, and, and really, that's going to severely cut the credit capacity of all uh, compliant global banks. And... And, and increase their capital requirements to just unworkable levels. So, uh, I mean, to me, this is the uh, this is going to force small businesses to become mega to, to be absorbed by mega corporations uh, who will be the only employers. Introduce the universal credit system where ownership of any asset is deemed to be unnecessary. So, to me, your just your thoughts on Basel Four. The intensity of controlling people will also depend on the infrastructure of uh, different countries. Y you understand, in Switzerland, the government knows exactly where everybody is. You cannot hide. It's not possible. Uh, you cannot hide on a camping space. You cannot hide in the forest because the forests are not big enough and so forth and so on. In the U.S., where they don't even know how many voters they have, and they don't want to know how many they have, uh, it's, more e it's easier to disappear. And in a country like Brazil or uh, Uruguay and uh, Chile and so forth, it's probably more easier to disappear. But I'm, I'm saying in Western Europe it's not so easy. In Thailand it would be somehow difficult, but... Uh, you could in theory disappear from uh, the public if you stay alone in a house somewhere or in an apartment and you go, don't go out and don't go in and so forth. So there are ways and some people have used these ways and have disappeared. Like Jeffrey Epstein. 
<laughs> well, Mark, I, I've, you've been so generous. You've been so generous with your time. And I think, uh, I mean, you know, it's, I can't believe it. You, you, what, I, I don't know if you ever go to sleep because it's, it's 20 past 12 midnight your time now. <laughs> I usually sleep at 7, 8 in the morning because now the stock market is open until 3 o'clock. And then after that, I'm, I'm writing a bit while this week I'm in the writing mood. Or not mood, but anyway, I have to write. <laughs> and then uh, after finishing work, I like to watch a movie or listen to some music. And uh, so life has taken another turn. Uh, for the first time in my life, I have more time to study history and more time to study music. I don't play an instrument. But I like to listen to music. And this book you're writing, is this, 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 you, you talked about the, um, is it a book you're writing or is it a piece? I write my reports, the gloom, boom and doom reports. I have two every month. One is the website report and one is the gloom, boom and doom report. And can we access that? Can you give us a link for that, uh, Mark? Because uh, it's something that I think would be of great value for I think of us. my assistant said gloomboomdoom.com is all in one word gloomboomdoom.com. Or anyone, if they Google my name, they get into somewhere <laughs> unless I'm banned. <laughs> unless they ban me. <laughs> Well, I think this was, for, for, for a doom and gloom name, I think this has been a very, very uh, pleasant experience. And I do appreciate everything, all the time you've taken. And, and Mark, honestly, I mean, you've, we've covered only a fraction of what I wanted to ask you, but maybe another time. Yes, we are young. <laughs> we are so young. <laughs> <laughs> but thank you so much. You're most welcome. Bye-bye. Thank you for giving me the opportunity. Bye-bye. Thank you. Bye-bye now. Bye-bye.